and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey here through the movies that just need a little more attention in the world, that just need a little more love. Our movie today is one that I am especially fond of. It's not really unknown. It's not really unheard of. It's not really obscure. I'm talking about the very, very well-known and famous Fast Times at Ridgemont High from 1982, one of the most prominent 80s teen movies out there. And the reason I wanted to do a show on this one isn't because I think it needs more attention. It's just I'm going to make the argument that this is the all-time greatest teen movie and those John Hughes movies get way too much attention and this is the one that we should be focusing on instead. So that is the premise of this one. That's my agenda. I will not lie about it. I love Fast Times and I just want to hype it to the world and talk about how amazing it is. And my host today, speaking of amazing, I had just recently re- uh, learned we have royalty on the show today. Uh, she on Twitter, she is known as the Queen of Gay. Very excited about this to have our first royalty. Uh, big reality TV fan. Very, very well known on Twitter for uh, posting on there a lot, writing on there a lot. Big fun personality. Wanted to come on the show and talk about Fast Times. Welcome to the show, Heather Cannon. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Now, the Queen of Gay, how does that come about? I'm very excited to hear about your title. Well, so I was, um, I somehow ended up going from no involvement at all from my college's LGBTQ group to being co-chair, because um, one of my close friends was and everyone dropped out. So I somehow got very deeply involved in that. And um, when I was in class once with a professor who I knew him very well, and he was also involved with the group, he had asked he just went over a lot of different like social and cultural things. It was like a film class and he asked the class like, Oh, can someone tell me what the acronym like LGBTQIAP or whatever stands for? And so I raised my hand. Cause obviously I know he goes, okay, so I'm besides the queen of gay. Ah. And I was like, I was like, okay, <laughs> like, thanks. Not everyone in this class knows me. That's a little, <laughs> little confusing, but I just ran with it. I was like, Hey, if someone wants to call me queen of gay, if there are worse things they could call me. Okay, so that is not there's no royal lineage. This has not been passed down through generations or anything. Um, no, it's just a title that was deemed to me by, <laughs> but I just took it and ran with it. Okay, well, this got a little less exciting, but I still am <laughs> excited to have you because you, I know you from Twitter fairly well. We've exchanged uh, views on stuff, and you had told me a while back you are a huge '80s movie fan, correct? Yes, I am. I love I love the 80s and I love I just love how you always know when you're like listening to something from the 80s, or you're watching something from the 80s. It's just so distinctive and so much fun. So, yeah, I would definitely say I'm a big fan. Now, here's the interesting thing is that you're not from the 80s. You're much younger no. than me. Yeah, so so how does, you know, I, I've heard this before. I hear some people that are much younger than me love 80s movies and love, you know, 80s culture. And then I hear the alternate viewpoint that some people think us 40-year-olds all live in the past. Oh, you guys are so nostalgic for your decade and your pop culture wasn't that good. You just refuse to ad- uh, adapt to the new stuff. So how how old are you and how did you get into 80s culture so much? Yeah, well, I'm 24, um, but I've been studying film since I was 14 or 15. So that's kind of how I found out more about it, because I would just be trying to go back and watching all of the movies that were considered like important films for people to see. 
um, for some reason, I don't know, I've noticed that most people who are really into film have parents who are really into film and show them a ton as a kid. And I was not like that at all. We watched the same couple movies. So I think that made me very anxious. So I was like obsessively just watching every movie that I thought I was supposed to watch. And as I was doing that, I saw lots of the 80s ones and just kind of fell in love with it from there. Now, were you an actual film studies major? I was technically theater and it was because the college I went to didn't have a film major. I was originally going to do film, but then I ended up declaring theater and there was just too many of the film classes were in the theater major for me to be considered one, but I was basically a film student, but technically theater. Okay, well, I find this very exciting because my brother-in-law went to Berkeley and he's a film studies major, like a film major, and he's I will say this in the nicest possible way, the most pretentious douchebag ever. <laughs> like, there's no way he would sit here and talk about an 80s movie like Fast Times with me. So I'm very excited that you yourself were like a film student and you didn't go in that direction, that you like the more populist stuff like these 80s movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny actually being in a film class versus a theater class that's like technically film. Just the difference, like film students that definitely the stereotype is definitely like rooted in reality like people can get very pretentious about it but for me I'm more just I love movies and if something's enjoyable to watch in any way then that's my definition of good it doesn't have to be like a cinematic masterpiece but I know there's a lot of film people out there who would really dislike that opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm very excited because you sound a lot like me in your film viewpoints that I like pretty much everything, that I have no biases towards anything for the most part. If it's fun and well-made, I usually like it. Whereas, again, like I, if I get my brother-in-law on here, I'm like, yeah, come on, staff picks, and we'll talk about a movie. And he'll be like, well, it better be in German. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find someone who likes, like, old movies and foreign movies and like campy movies and popular movies all at once but <laughs> that's just kind of the mix that you get with me a little bit of everything so I'm glad that I can I always have am happy when I can find someone who feels the same way yeah excellent I can tell you're going to be a good guest you will fit in perfectly with fast times and I will say specifically People were lining up left and right to do this movie when they found out that I wanted to do a fast times episode but here's the problem Every single person that wanted to come on the show and be my guest was a guy and was in their 40s. And I knew they were going to spend 20 minutes talking about the pool scene and Phoebe Cates. And I'm like, you know, that's an important scene in movie history, but that's not the only thing in Fast Times. I wanted to get a little different perspective. So I was so excited to add someone actually who's female and not my age and wanted to talk about this movie because, again, I've heard other Fast Times discussion and it all turns into the same thing. It's just that pool scene for half an hour. Yeah, yeah, and I can say that's the major selling point for me. I was actually feeling a little weird telling people when I was going to be on um, a podcast, and it was two or three people I told and mentioned the movie, who, and they were both my age, didn't know the movie. Mm -hmm. So I am glad that we can maybe hopefully get more people in the younger generation to know about this, because it may not be underrated or underknown for someone who's your age or someone who was actually like alive when it came out. Mm -hmm. But for people my age, I definitely think like people know all of the John Hughes movies, but they a lot of people my age don't know Fast Times. And but I was a little nervous. So I was like, I, like, how are people going to take this if maybe because I think a lot of people who don't who haven't seen the movie, all they really know is that one scene. 
Like, I know that I knew about that scene before I'd ever seen the movie from, like, VH1 Countdowns or MTV or whatever it was. So I was like, are people going to think that I'm, like, this creep or something? But it's actually a really good movie, and that's just one smaller scene in a much bigger and greater movie. Okay, yeah. Now, see, I'm curious since you brought it up. Like, I, we have both brought up John Hughes, and whenever people think about the 80s and pop culture and movies they think oh john hughes movies and to me that's almost like a four-letter word and it's not that i specifically don't like john hughes movies it's always just bothered me that his stuff is just seen as the end-all be-all centerpiece of all 80s movies when in reality there were so many other good things going on too among like you said people your age is do they see is that really how it's viewed that, that 80s movies are really just john hughes and then a bunch of other stuff too yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have a good read on people's view on 80s films in general, but I'd say it's maybe like the cheesy action kind of films and like the John Hughes. I would guess that those are kind of the two big ones. I mean, for me, when I think 80s, I think Back to the Future, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I'd say probably most people my age, I would guess more like Ferris Bueller and Breakfast Club and those ones would probably be the first ones that would come to mind. Okay, and that's that's exactly what I thought what the reality was, so I thank you for confirming my stereotypes here. <laughs> now, yeah. okay, of your extensive knowledge of 80s movies, what do you name a couple besides Back to the Future and Fast Times that you like? Like, what would be your favorite? Is Back to the Future the obvious one, your favorite 80s movie? Yeah, I mean, that one's also just special for me because my grandfather had Parkinson's and Michael J. Fox was the first celebrity I met. Like, we were very involved with the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And it was in that context that I saw the movie for the first time. I was actually a little bit older when I saw it. So that one is one I've seen a million times over and definitely one I'm a big fan of. Um, I like, there's not really one in particular, but I like the 80s, like, campy horror movies. I know Fright Night is one of them off the top of my head. Um and War Games is actually one I watched recently because anyone who knows Survivor, um, David Wright, had actually mentioned it to me in conversation. And I freaked out that I hadn't seen it before and watched it and really enjoyed it. And um, Ruthless People I watched recently with Danny DeVito. Big Danny DeVito fan, too. <laughs> and that one was a lot of fun. But, yeah, for me, it's not as much like one movie in particular as it's just it's more of like a genre in my mind that I really enjoy than one or two particular films yeah i'm so excited to hear war games come out of your mouth there that's <laughs> that's one of my dark horse favorites of the 80s and david wright out there doing the lord's work spreading the gospel yeah that's not one that many people your age would know i don't think yeah no it's only because he had quoted it to me when we were talking at one point and i was like he said something about oh like it's probably you're probably too young you probably haven't seen it or something not phrased that way but he said something along those lines and i was like oh my god like i haven't seen it and then so i went and watched it and i really enjoyed it so i was like getting something extra out of the tv writer interaction there i'm just curious since you mentioned it have you read the book or seen the movie ready player one which is like the love letter to the 80s no i haven't actually Okay, there's a really neat scene in that book where they have to recreate the movie War Games. They have to walk through the entire movie and quote the dialogue and reenact it exactly to unlock a puzzle. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's, I've, I've heard of it, I've heard about it, but I didn't actually know it, 
that that was what it was about. Now I'm interested. I'll have to read it. Okay, good. Well, I'm helping spread the 80s gospel. <laughs> um, now, Fast Times, how did you, let's let's get into this one specifically. You said you had heard about this movie or learned about it on like, uh, when they do like VH1, I Love Phoebe Kate's Breasts. They did that show, I remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, what's that? I, yeah, for some reason we just always had like VH1 and those countdowns and all that stuff on in my house, like 24 uh seven. -huh. That's the reason why now I'm so surprised when I find out people, I know pe most people don't know Survivor, but it's always so surprising to me when people don't even know like the dead grandma lie because I'm like, that was, I feel like it was constantly playing on my TV with all of the like greatest reality TV moments or whatever. But yeah, so I know I definitely like heard of the scene and, I don't know if I knew that it was from the film. I definitely just knew of it, at least in general. But it was just one of those movies that I came across when I was trying to watch all of the, like, staples and important films. And, yeah, I was definitely a big fan of it right away. Okay, now, is this a movie you've seen a bunch of times or just maybe a couple times? A bunch of times, yeah. Maybe not as much as Back to the Future, but it's probably, like, second on my list of 80 movies that I've watched the most times. Okay. Excellent. Now, I have to give my history for people here that I was born in 1974. Fast Times came out when I was eight. So as much as I wish this was my teen movie that I grew up with this movie, it's not. And it's one of these things that's been hanging over my head for years that there's this movie that I think was the greatest teen movie ever made. And it came at the start of the 80s when it was really too young, too old for me. Like I, I couldn't have seen it. Even if I would have seen it, it would have been far too mature themed. I wouldn't have really gotten it. So it's always been jealous that I grew up in the later 80s and like people would say my teen movies are, you know, pretty in pink, say anything, which, you know, those are good movies. But it always kills me, Heather. It kills me that Fast Times is not my <laughs> teen movie. And I was so close. I'm like five or six years off where I could say this was my movie. Yeah, no, I definitely relate to that because I don't feel like they're really, I mean, I guess I have Mean Girls, which is in there, uh -huh. but I don't really feel like there's one that I identify with in particular that came out when I was like in that high school range. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm just so jealous of these kids that are older than me because again, growing up when you're, if you'd seen this movie when you were 15 and 16, you would identify it. And just watching it now, this movie is such a time capsule of what that era was like and pop culture was like and like mall culture was like i know this might be a little foreign <laughs> to you but you know the movie that's really what life was like in the you know 1978 through 84 kind of that era where this movie pops in it's such a neat little time capsule that for me it adds even even just beyond the film version of it just the uh, film aspect of it i just am uh, enamored by the sociology aspect of it like this literally is a snapshot of what america looked like at that point in history it's really cool yeah, it's actually interesting you say that about the mall culture because that wasn't something I'd really given too much thought to until I rewatched it for this podcast. And I was thinking, that's so weird that people that are that old, like 16, like that they'd be, the mall would be the cool place for them. And even just having like a cool job at the mall, like I don't know if it was just where I went to high school, but I feel like the cool kids when I was younger were the ones who probably didn't have a job and their parents were just buying all their stuff for them. They giving them all the money they wanted. So it was weird to see it be like, like having Brad be like a big shot because of his job working at like a fast food place. So it was very different for me compared to what I had growing up. Yeah. Just from a time perspective and a generation gap, that's one of the neatest or maybe not neatest. That, that's one of the most distinct things about this movie, how, 
how 80s it is compared to now. And again, because like when I was a kid, the mall was absolutely like the centerpiece of the town. If you're a kid, if you're a teenager, especially if you have a car. Oh, my God. If you have a car, you can go to the mall. And like if you, you see this movie, it's such a good representation of that. That's where the kids would just go because it has everything for a kid at that point. There's, you know, the pizza place, the movie theater. There's a uh, the video game arcade. The arcades were big. That was like where got mostly guys would hang out. But there a lot of girls would be in there, too. This was the mall was literally like the centerpiece of the town for all teenagers and this movie kind of captures that so well that everything in this world goes on at this Ridgemont Mall and this movie really only has two settings really that the the school and then the mall and that's really what reality would have been like for kids and if you get into history I don't know you would I'm sure you probably know this but what happened was you know online shopping and stuff like that ended up killing the malls so people went there less and less and they'd start taking out stores so it's just to me, it's very sad, but to you, it's probably just like looking at an old museum, <laughs> an era of the world that you never knew. Yeah, no, it's interesting because, I mean, I liked going small when I was younger, but I liked going so that meant I could go shopping and just get new clothes. It wasn't really like sometimes I would go with my friends, but there we wouldn't really be seeing any other people. Like when I'd go, it'd just be a small group of people at most, like a couple of kids just going and like actually shopping and then maybe get some pizza maybe go to the movies or get our nails done or something but there wasn't really much beyond that it definitely wasn't a culture for me so I mean I think it's kind of cool in a way I don't I don't know I think it's cool that kids kind of had a place that was more social besides just the school itself mm -hmm. it was social and it was usually inexpensive and it was safe that was the other thing that's really nice like, you just go to the mall, I'm going to be there all all night, and my mom would be like, yeah, come home at dinner or whatever. And you know your kids are fine, and they're just, like, uh, I could go, what I would do is i just go to the bookstore and hang out there for, like, five hours and read books for free. I don't have to spend a cent to read books. <laughs> then go to Orange Julius, pick up an Orange Julius, go out to the car, drive home, and call it a day. And that's really an entire evening spent doing mall stuff without spending more than, like, three bucks. Yeah, no, it sounds nice. And have even just working at a place where you could have other people showing up and some kind of entertainment while you're there. Like I worked at a little Dairy Queen shack where I'd be like begging my friends to come visit me when it was slow. <laughs> so having it seems like their jobs were much more fun than my job growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's obviously part of this movie that all the all the jobs there are stocked by teenagers. So they're literally just one teen store next to another and next to another. So eventually you're going to hook up with somebody, which perhaps not so much in my case, I was kind of a nerd reading my books and drinking my Orange Julius. But yeah, that would, for a normal kid, it would be a good place to find a date on a Friday. Yeah, maybe that's why I didn't have any dates in high school, because I didn't have a mall to go to and meet new people. There you go. So since Back to the Future was such an inspiration, when you go back and you invent that time machine, then you can go back to like the mid to late 80s, go to a mall and you can join mall culture and you will have probably a more successful social life than you did have it regularly. So there you go. You're, that's your new life mission. <laughs> there I go. Now I have a plan. Yes. <laughs> so what we do here. We, we offer hopes and dreams to the youth on this show. <laughs> now, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Now, do you know the history behind this movie, how it came about, how the book it was based on and everything? Yeah, well, Cameron Crowe went undercover at a school for a while, and that's, I don't know how much of the movie, I know he wrote a book and then it was turned into a movie, I don't know how much of it was, like, fiction based on his experience or how much of it was directly taken from it, but that's my general understanding of 
how it came to be. Yeah, yeah. It's, I will. I will. You already know this, but I'm going to give this for our listeners. Um, Cameron Crowe, very respected writer, director. He used to be a journalist for Rolling Stone magazine. Very, very successful guy at a very young age. He looked very young. I think he was like 22, 21. I forget how old, but he looked like he was about 15. And so he came up with this plan. He went to Rolling Stone or some editor, I forget, and he said, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go pretend to be a high school student, and I would like to write an expose on what high schools are like now because there was this uh, kind of reputation high schools had in the late 70s, right around 1980, that they were, you know, sex pits, drug pits, just horrible places, all this immoral stuff going on. If you guys know the movie I talked about earlier, My Bodyguard, that's kind of what high schools were like at the time. They were considered very dangerous sometimes. Like kids were getting extorted. They had to hire bodyguards. So Cameron Crowe went to an editor, said, I'd like to pass as a high school student. Send me in there for a year. I can make all these friends. I can learn what high schools are like, and I will write an expose of what what American high schools look like in 1980. And so that's it's a really fascinating story, and that's why I think this movie in particular for teen comedies has so much reality to it and so much depth and just so much realness because it is all based on reality he's writing about actual people he saw doing actual things and these are the kind of things that kids were talking about at that era so right from the start this movie has so much more of an interesting backstory than almost any other teen movie because of that part of it yeah, so have you actually read the book that he wrote about it? Because I wanted to, but every time I've looked it up, it's been like some private seller. It's like $100 for the book, so I haven't gotten a hold of it, and I want to. I hesitate to answer that question, but I will. Um, I not only have read it, I have a copy of it, and if you'd like, I will send it to you and let you borrow it because it's really good and it's almost impossible to find. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I wonder why it's so difficult to find. You would think with a movie that's so well-known that it would be a bit more accessible but i'm not sure i i had heard that when it came out some of the kids that cameron crow wrote about were not happy because he didn't use their real names but it's pretty obvious to tell who he's writing about so i heard there was some controversy over that i know the guy that played ratner in particular wasn't happy about it and there was probably some pressure to not offer like a second third fourth printing after it went out of print because i think it, it didn't it 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 pissed some people off i think what happened Oh, yeah. I guess that makes some sense. I didn't know that it was that directly based on the people he knew. Yeah. I could see why they wouldn't like that. <laughs> yeah, although, do you know, the guy that uh, played Mark Ratner in real life went on to invent the uh, some, so-and-so for dummies, the, the help self-help books? Uh, he did? Yeah, he is wrote it, those books. Like That's, the actor did? No, the... The real person that Mark Ratner was based on is like this mega millionaire because he, he wrote those X for Dummies books. He started that. Oh, no, I didn't know that. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's that's what I think is the issue with the book. And again, it's almost impossible to find. Like you said, you could you could get a copy if you wanted to pay like 500 bucks for it. I was fortunate enough that I had a friend who owned a copy, and he knew I was a bigger fan of this movie than he was, so he gave it to me. So, I again, this is why I hesitate to say this. I'm going to get 100 requests from people <laughs> asking me to borrow the book. But I will I will send it to you. It's really fascinating. It's I mean, it's word for word almost the book of uh, the movie, but the book is like three times longer and more in depth with more scenes and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I would love that. Okay, so we're about to talk about Fast Times. We're going to delve into the plot here, although I have to say a couple other things. Uh, 
One, this movie was directed by a female director, Amy Heckerling, which was very rare for comedies of that era. And I don't know if it, it gets enough credit for that. It's one of the few female-helmed movies out there that I've done on staff picks. I'm trying to think of... I'm not sure there's been any others. So that's one interesting thing about this movie. And the other thing is that critics absolutely hated this movie. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you seen some of the reviews from, like, when it first came out? No, I haven't. I didn't know that they hated it, although I guess that's not surprising knowing what I do know about some film critics. Yeah. Well, it's there There really was no such thing as a teen movie yet, where My Bodyguard was one of the first ones, 1980, and the movie I literally just did on Staff Picks, Last American Virgin, was maybe the first modern teen movie, but that came out like two weeks before this one. So there really wasn't a thing as a teen movie yet, so they got judged as a drama, as a coming-of-age movie and this one in particular there's so much sex in this movie there's so many adult themes there's abortions there's nudity tons of nudity and I know Roger Ebert in particular thought this was like one of the most reprehensible movies he had ever seen <laughs> he's like I think he gave it zero stars he was so offended and he especially had a problem with Jennifer Jason Lee who plays Stacy being topless and being in all these sex scenes and he was like furious in his review. She's like, he's like, she's 15. She's underage. How dare you do that? That's just smut. And meanwhile, in real life, I think she was like 20. She just looks yeah. young. Yeah. And so there's, there was no way frame of reference for people to really appreciate this movie. They were so upset at how sexual it was. So it's funny to look at those in retrospect where it's now considered a classic. Yeah. And was it, did they, now that you're mentioning it, did they not believe that it was like, reflective of reality when it came out because i feel like i'm remembering that i don't know if i just made it up yeah i mean i have to think that's probably the truth a lot of people had been way out of high school for so many years they didn't they don't know what the reality of high school was for kids in the late 70s so it just didn't ring true to them it seemed all fabricated just for movies and yeah, that's the funny thing is that it got slammed for being so unrealistic when in reality this is the most realistic teen movie out there because it was based on literally exact scenes that happened yeah. Okay, so um, we're about to delve into the movie here. Uh, we've talked quite a bit here. Again, this movie has so much going for it and so much historical background and just things like uh, words it brought to the American lexicon. I'm not entirely sure if the word awesome was ever heard in a movie before this. I'm not sure gnarly was heard. Um, I know wuss. I read somewhere wuss was not ever heard before this movie. And the other thing is that Spicoli, Jeff, Sean Penn as Jeff Spicoli, played the first surfer in a movie. You'd never really seen the stoner surfer archetype in a movie ever either. So just so many things it just brought to the world. Yeah, well, I didn't know about any of that. <laughs> See, this is great. It's great when I bring someone younger than I, I feel like a big shot. I can teach things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking when I was watching the movie when he's when he said was and then was breaking it down i was like wait is that what it really means it does <laughs> oh that's yeah i didn't i didn't know any of that so so i think that's the the great thing from this movie is that literally some kid in san diego i think that's where cameron crow went to the high school somewhere in san diego someone said this word wuss back in 1978 cameron crow's like huh that's an interesting word i'll put that in a movie and now it became a movie now or a word now wuss is a word that everybody knows just because some rando in san diego said it in 1978 
Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go into the movie here. It's Fast Times at Ridgemont High is really the story of a bunch of kids, in Amer normal American teenage kids, just trying to grow up and become grown-ups faster than they're ready for it. And that's really, to sum up the movie, that's what it is over and over. All right, so uh, here we go. So the movie starts as it should at the mall, the centerpiece, where Heather is so jealous of our my 80s brethren, where this was our, <laughs> our church, our altar, where we go to pray every day. Okay, so we're at the mall. We're at this Sherman Oaks Galleria, which was a real mall uh, just north of Los Angeles up in the San Fernando Valley. And it's got this great iconic opening scene where we meet almost every major character in the first two minutes in this big montage. And they play We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's. Great opening. Uh, Heather, anything that stands out to you about this opening just that jumps out at you that you remember? Not anything in particular other than what we mentioned before. It just the amount of activity going on at the mall and just like all these different, it's kind of just like a bunch of teenagers like hanging out except while at work. Okay. And we meet, uh, yeah, uh, we got Mike Damone. He's this uh, hustler, this uh, scalper. We meet Mark Radner. He works in the theater and we meet uh, who else is there. We meet Linda and Stacy. These are our female leads. And really this movie is the story of Stacy. That's the thing. For as much press as this movie gets about Sean Penn or or uh, Phoebe Cates, it really is the story of Jennifer Jason Lee as Stacy, who I will flat out say I think is one of the most adorable characters in a teen movie ever, and I had a crush on her for many years. So I'll just flat out admit that right now. I I I will 100% argue this is the story of Stacy, and I love Stacy. Yeah, I'd agree on that. I think yeah, the other characters get more attention, but when you actually pay attention to it it's really they're more supporting characters than it like phoebe and spicoli and all of them like they are in the film consistently throughout but it's not really their story at all it's very much about stacy yeah she is absolutely the backbone here and again played by jennifer jason lee one of the greatest actresses of her generation and uh these days is not doing so many roles much like Stacy in Fast Times. In fact, the last time I saw her was in The Hateful Eight, where she was being pummeled every five minutes as Daisy Domergue. Did you see that one? <laughs> I did, yeah. That's the only movie I've seen her in any time recently. <laughs> my, I showed my daughter The Hateful Eight, and she didn't like it. She thought it was too long. But I'm like, you know Daisy Domergue? Let's go watch <laughs> Fast Times, and I'm going to tell you that's the same person, and you won't believe it. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird to think about, especially because I hadn't, I mean, I think Fast Times may be the only thing that I've seen her in besides The Hateful Eight, but I don't know if I realized at first that she was in the movie until I saw her. So, it's, yeah, it's very different. It's very confusing. <laughs> if if you want to see more of Jennifer Jason Lee, she usually plays like a psychopath. She loves playing crazy roles. There's a movie from the 90s called Single White Female where she plays a crazy stalker. So, there, there, she's she's perfect for that one. Okay, so again, this movie is the story of Stacey Hamilton. She's 15 years old. She's about to go into her freshman year of high school. And like many kids, she just wants to grow up. She wants to be older than she is. And again, there's only one female on this podcast, and it's not me. So I will defer to you, Heather. Is this pretty common for girls at that age? They want to be older? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I was maybe a little bit different. Like when I was 15, I was still kind of like dream about busy romances and stuff. So I think I was a little bit behind the times. But in general, yeah, I think especially even like before that, like I'd say maybe like seventh and eighth grade, 
people already kind of get that mentality where they're all kind of competing to see who is like the most grown up first. Yeah. And the stereotype tends to be that girls do that faster because girls are a little more mature than boys who are going to be playing video games until they're 40. So, yeah, again, this would be very, very realistic for girls of that era in 1978, 79, where, you know, the girls get to high school and they want to be seen as an adult. And that's really what's going to be Stacy's problem here. She'll run into many situations she is per perhaps not ready for. Yeah, definitely. And, of course, she has this is uh, one of my favorite things about this movie is that. Everyone apparently has a life coach is that Stacy is 15 years old and she's got Linda who's like 18 and Linda I don't know how these two are friends other than their co-workers but Linda is like her life coach she talks her about about experience and the world and wisdom and how life works and on the opposite aisle we'll have this guy Mark Ratner who works at the theater also 15 he's also got a senior life coach Mike Damone so I love these little life coaches that they have constantly spouting advice through the whole movie. Yeah, that's the thing that I always wonder with um, Phoebe is that she's obviously like considered kind of a popular girl and she definitely considers herself one and she's older, but seemingly like her only friend is this, like freshman girl and she's, I think, a senior. So I, I'm always wondering, I'm like, where, like, why doesn't she have any other friends that she hangs out with? But I don't know if it's maybe just because she always has some kind of older guy that she's with that she maybe just doesn't have their friends and for some reason just decided to take Stacy under her wing for better or for worse. So are you arguing that Linda Barrett is a bit of a loser? <laughs> well, I just, I, maybe I would like to know more of her backstory because I just don't know. Maybe it's just because we see it like more through Stacy's eyes. So that's always just what I'm wondering. I'm like, why doesn't she have friends her own age. I mean, that is kind of a red flag. <laughs> I actually never thought about that. And you've actually, I've seen this movie probably a hundred times and you actually gave me something new to think about. Now, now Linda, the older girl throughout the movie is constantly talking about her boyfriend who's a fiance she has off in Chicago. Do you think that person actually exists or is she, is she making this up? Um, I mean, it's hard to, I feel like maybe it's definitely in a, gray area I would if I had to say I'll lean towards it maybe being made up just because I mean logistically I don't know how she knows this guy in like Chicago <laughs> and why he wants to date like a teenager but yeah it definitely feels very weird the whole time because she talks about him a lot but we don't really see any evidence that he exists I guess so Linda only has two friends, some freshman who isn't even in high school yet, and some mystery, uh, some mystery guy off in Chicago. These are the only two people Linda knows. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, pretty much. And all these other, who maybe, maybe all these other guys she talks about aren't even real either. Maybe it's all just a fantasy that she's made up to impress this, like, barely even teenage girl. <laughs> So I guess this uh, the age-old wisdom here may be true, that the, the most popular, amazing, beautiful person in, in school is really miserable, and they're just giving out a cry for help. Maybe that's Linda's real story here, <laughs> is that she's got the saddest existence possible, because I, it had never crossed my mind that she only talks to a freshman. Yeah, that is a huge red flag. I, I have to go read the book again to see if there actually was a boyfriend, because I'm doubting it now. I think Linda's making all this crap up. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does feel, I mean, she'd have to be pretty insane because 
I mean, this is skipping way far ahead when she's all crying about him not coming to her graduation, whatever, like she would have to be, she'd have to be very insane to be that level of committed to the fantasy. If it wasn't real, either that or just an extraordinary actress, but to be an actor, you kind of have to understand human emotions, interactions. You have to talk to other people to get those things. So if she doesn't have any other friends, how would she have that experience? I don't know. This is all very sketchy now that we're talking it out. <laughs> now, now here's the great irony here. If if Linda Barrett is indeed insane and is making up fantasy friends and is so far <laughs> off the you know the the mental health checklist, you know which actress would be perfect to play this mentally ill person? Jennifer Jason Lee would be perfect to play this crazy person. Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. We've already already opened the Pandora's box here. Oh, man, this is not the direction I expected this to go in, but it's all making so much sense now. It's come full circle. Oh, we're going to darken this story up nicely. <laughs> okay, so, again, um, we see Linda and Stacy working there at Perry's Pizza, and uh, apparently they're constantly scamming for guys. This is what they do. This is what teens would have done in a pizza place. Yeah, they're there to make money, but in reality, they're there to find cute guys and talk to them and flirt with them and maybe get asked out on dates. And lo and behold, right off the bat, we see little 15-year-old Stacy. She's uh, uh, th th this older guy. This guy probably in his 30s walks in, and he's real cute, and, and they all want to hit on him. But they're like, well, we can't. That's in Stacy's booth. So right off the bat, Stacy gets to go flirt with this 30-year-old guy, and he asks her for her phone number. She says she's 19, which, again, Stacy will not make good decisions in this movie. Don't tell the 30-year-old you're 19. But yeah, so right off the bat, we have Stacy trying to be a little older than she is. Yeah, and there you go with Linda just not giving great advice because she's the one who's always pushing her to do that kind of thing where she just pretends that she's older than she is and just get with these older guys. And, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's all great. <laughs> and it's definitely not all great. But that's what happens when you get your advice from other teenagers. Yeah, these these are poor life coaches. Not, not only is Linda telling her her two T, uh, Stacy, go over there and and I won't say statutory. I'll just say <laughs> hook up with this guy who's thirty. That seems like good life advice. But later in the movie, we have Damone, who not only gives Ratner horrible advice, he hits on Ratner's girlfriend. So this is really this whole movie is an expose on why life coaches are bad. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It's funny because I feel like sometimes there's good advice mixed in and then really terrible advice. Like it's all in one extreme. Like when Linda is telling her like, oh, like just call him. You don't have to wait. I'm like, yes, like this is great. So I'm like, yes, I agree. Yeah. If you want to go out with him, just call him. And but she's like, oh, yeah, go out with all these older men. Just like have a little fling with them. It's all great. Like just lie to people and <laughs> just do whatever. Like, I don't know. It, it's very one extreme or the other. <laughs> Heather, these were fast times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So this is Stacy's lot in life. She's going to constantly try to pass off for being older than 15 and bad things will happen to her. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But now we're going to meet one of the other major characters of the movie, her brother, Brad, played by Judge Reinhold in his big breakout movie, became one of the more prominent actors in the 80s but this is the movie that introduced him and brad is one of my dark horse favorite characters of this movie because his like uh, greek tragedy uh, downfall he basically has throughout this movie where he starts <laughs> off as the king of ridgemont high school 
And uh, by the end of the movie, he is a clerk at a, at a mini mart, at a midnight mini mart. Like he, he has the most stunning downward spiral of, of D success of anybody I can think of in an 80s movie. And so we, at the start of the movie, we meet Brad, who is a senior and he's the big man on campus. He's got a girlfriend. He's got a cool car, which uh, I don't know if you catch it, what, what they call the car in the movie. His car has a name. Oh, no, I I tend to zone out when people talk about cars. <laughs> yeah, it's more prominent in the book, but it's called the cruising vessel. That's what he calls his car. Everyone knows it. And Ooh. yeah, and he's got a big shot job, as Heather said, you know, in the in the 2000s, maybe the cool kid would be the rich one who parents give him everything. But in 1980, the cool kid is the guy who's the fry cook at All American Burger. Yeah, I wish people thought that I was cool for making hot dogs and ice cream to pay for my Buick when I was his age. <laughs> well, I think you're cool, Heather. So that's one. You've got one. <laughs> yeah, add one to the list. One and only one. Yeah, so Brad, again, this is he's starting his senior year. He's the big man on campus, TM, Greg Brady. And uh, he is, we started the movie, him at All-American Burger. He's working there, and he has to deal with these three stoners who come in. And apparently these guys are well-known around town. They show up in businesses and take their shirts off and smoke. And, of course, this would be Sean Penn as Jeff Spicoli. And you have uh, Anthony Edwards and Eric Stoltz two other huge actors that both got their starts in this movie just it's insane how many actors started in this movie and later had big careers and these these guys stoltz and edwards are just sidekicks and anthony edwards in 15 years was the the highest paid leading man on tv in er it's crazy yeah and even nicholas cage works at the all-american burger too and you see him for like a split second in like one or two scenes it's really crazy to think about yeah, the, uh, I remember the trivia I read somewhere. They wanted Nicolas Cage to play Brad Hamilton. That They wanted him to be the lead, but he was too young. He wasn't 18 yet. I think he was only 17. So they, the, the contract, the union says they can't work a certain number of hours if you're not an adult. So they had to relegate Nicolas Cage to the backup fry cook, which is, to this day, remains the, remains the last time Nicolas Cage was ever upstaged. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty much the one and only time. All right, so we meet Brad, we meet Stacy again. He's the senior, she's the freshman. They probably aren't that close because seniors and freshmen aren't, unless, of course, you're Linda and your only friend is this loser freshman. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, now we're going to go to the date. And uh, uh, are, you, are you ready for this one? This is an especially uh, not fun scene to talk about. We're going to go through Stacy's first date with a 30-year-old. Yeah, and there's a lot to break down here, starting with, the outfit that she chooses to wear to like her first ever date where she's just looking to like hook up with this guy and she wears multiple sweaters and khaki pants and i have to say i didn't notice it until it's time watching it and i was like interesting choice <laughs> so she went for the grandma look a little different than what people wear these days yeah that's not really what people wear when they have the same objective when they're going out these days yeah i like to make sure the guy has to remove multiple layers on my hookup date Oh, yeah, pretty much. Just leave some mystery by just wearing basically bags of clothing. <laughs> Going for the 1900s fashion sense here. <laughs> a petticoat. She wears a petticoat. Oh, yeah, pretty much. So Stacy sneaks out, and again, this is Stacy constantly going out and trying to be a grown-up and making life choices. She sneaks out with this 30-year-old guy. He immediately says, hey, basically want to go up to the make-out point and have sex. She's like, sounds good. So they go, and it is 
we'll we'll rush through it a little bit here unless there's more you want to talk about. But it is it is not especially satisfying, although Stacy does lose her virginity. And again, that was kind of a shocking scene for a teen movie or like a, a movie aimed at youths in nineteen eighty two. You wouldn't have seen a lot like that. But yeah, it's a basically a statutory rape scene and but she did it. She lost her virginity and Stacy has crossed off her first bucket list of high school. Oh yeah, yeah, I have to say it is refreshing to have one have a movie portraying a scene that is a little bit more realistic. <laughs> like, I mean, you would think someone that young it would be <laughs> a little bit more uncomfortable for her than they portray, but at least they show the awkwardness of it when she's just seeing all the graffiti on the wall and everything and obviously not necessarily having the greatest time of her life with it. Yeah, and I would say that probably has a lot to do with this movie having a female director, so she's very cognizant of showing it from Stacy's point of view. And yeah, Stacy's having sex, but it's not presented as fun or romantic. She's really just getting nailed in a dugout of, a, of an abandoned baseball field, and there's like a... What's the graffiti? There's like a Nazi graffiti on the ceiling. It's just an ugly, ugly place. Mm -hmm. And they don't even yeah. Yeah, they don't even try to make it look like it's a pleasant experience. But that, I guess, is just the point of these movies. These kids are rushing into these adult decisions, and they're not really ready for it. Yeah, neither of them even really tried to pretend like it was an actual date. Like, it wasn't even like they went somewhere else and then went there. I was just like, oh, yeah, we have this date. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to go to this, like, sketchy place. And then that's it. There's no, like, dinner or movie trying to lead up to it. They just go right for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least Ratner takes her to a nice German restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Ratner. <laughs> okay. Well, I just realized we kind of jumped around in the movie. The sex scene doesn't come right at the start. I thought it did. I'm actually, I flip-flopped two scenes in my notes. Uh, we have to go to the first day of high school. I completely forgot that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, who really cares about first day of high school? You're not important. That's true. Well, yeah. Yeah, the timeline of this movie is interesting because it literally starts on the first day of high school. It goes until prom. It's like the entire school year. And we go to the first day of Ridgemont High. And again, this is Stacy's first day. And she's all lost and flustered and looking around. And this is where we do meet one of the great dynamics in this movie where we have the super strict history teacher, Mr. Hand, played by Ray Walston, and his constant battles with Jeff Spicoli, the surfer. And I would say these are one of the, these are some of the scenes this movie is most well known for. And I would assume you love these scenes, right? Like everybody else. Oh yes, I'm still a little confused about why there's seniors and freshmen in the same history class. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it's definitely one of the more iconic iconic parts of the movie. Are basically just Mr. Hands messing with Spicoli and him kind of messing with him back. Well, you know, I never really even thought about that, that there was freshmen and seniors in this class. I really, that, I guess that just speaks to just how far behind in his academic progress Jeff Spicoli really is. <laughs> well, Brad's, um, I forget her name, but Brad's girlfriend is in the class, too. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I thought of that at first, but then I was like, well, why is she in the class, too? Isn't she a senior? So I don't know what's going on at this high school that it's just, it's like classes don't even matter. Everyone's just all in one big class, I guess. Oh, Heather has caught continuity errors in Fast Times. I, I didn't realize that, but yeah, the girlfriend being in there screws it all up. And it's, it's, we're kind of reaching Degrassi Junior High territory. I don't know if you probably have never seen that show, but in Degrassi Junior High, they were constantly mixing kids around in different classes, just whoever showed up on the set that day. So this is like a Degrassi error, I would call it. Just whoever was there on the set, you're going to be in the class today. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess if it's a general U.S. history class, it doesn't really matter what year you take it. But yeah, that was one thing that I noticed is that there seems to be a recurring theme of classes just blending together a little bit. Well, maybe Stacy again. Stacy is trying to grow up so fast. Maybe she has told the registrar she's a senior. Maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah, it would be consistent, you know. If you're gonna lie about your age, you might as well just go all at it. Okay, so we get the first meeting here between Spicoli and Mr. Hand, one of the most iconic, you know, the running storylines of any '80s comedy. And I'm not gonna go through all of them because I'm sure people have seen them. But we're the one right at the start where. Spicoli shows up late for class and Mr. Hand tears up his little attendance card and kicks him out and Spicoli calls him a dick, which that might have been the first term the time the word dick was used in a movie, too. I'd, I'd have to check with some uh, phallus historians on that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that one I could see. Yeah, because I don't know if I've heard it in a movie that came before that time. Yeah. Okay, now, speaking of a scene here that would not have been seen before 1982, uh, this will be a very delicate one to talk about, as we'll call it the carrot scene for now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, I will use some euphemisms here for our younger viewers, but there is a scene in this movie where one girl, Linda, explains, as she is as a life coach, as she is wont to do, she explains to her <laughs> younger uh, 2T how to give oral sex to a man using a carrot. And I remember, I remember seeing this scene when I was like, when I first saw this movie when I was like 13, I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, I had no clue what the scene even was. So <laughs> perhaps I was a little young, but it's it's the type of scene I can see someone like Roger Ebert might have a problem with. Like, why is this scene in a movie aimed at youth? That is very, very irresponsible. But again, it's based on Cameron Crowe's book. So I'm sure he saw kids talking about this in the lunchroom one day. Yeah. Hey, whatever gets kids to eat their vegetables, right? <laughs> Yes. Well, if you're eating it, I think you're doing it wrong. I'm not going <laughs> to get too technical here. Yeah, well, they, they experiment with it, and then they eat it. After after she gives her life coaching, then she bites into it once, she, once her lesson is done. Yes, very famous scene. Again, there were several reasons Phoebe Cates was very popular for a while as an actress. This scene, I'm sure, <laughs> doesn't hurt, and the pool scene later. But anyway, so yeah, so we're meeting all these people at school. And this is where we meet the other life coach pairing. We already have Stacy and her life coach, Linda. Now we have Ratner and Damone. And in my opinion, these are my two favorite characters in this movie. As much as I love Spicoli, I just love Ratner. He's so pathetic and so awkward and so real to, I'm not going to say me, but very close to how I would have been at that age. And I love Damone just because I've never seen this archetype in a teen movie before, like the scalper hustler like this, which I just think he's so distinct. And even my wife will say that when she watches this movie. She's like, I should hate that Damone guy, but I love him. He's so he's so slimy. I just think he's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, I love Ratner, too. Yeah, I don't know why. I always have had a soft spot for him. But yeah, and... um. Damone is just, yeah, he's something, he's something else, yeah. <laughs> well, he's got that, he's got a weird, like, New York accent, which is very odd for the San Fernando Valley, which I always thought it was kind of odd his accent doesn't fit. But again, this is a case of a, like, a senior hanging out with a freshman. So I don't know what kind of weird dichotomy in politics they had at this high school where, where freshmen were cool. <laughs> that was not my experience. Was that your experience <laughs> in school? No, yeah, I mean... 
yeah, in college, I knew more upperclassmen, but when I was a freshman, yeah, no, not at all. Like, I knew some older kids because my sister was a junior, but even then, it was not, there wasn't that level of intermingling unless it was, like, an upperclassman guy dating one of the freshmen. That was pretty much the only time that I recall. Like, the only seniors who ever talked to me or my friends were, like, creepy guys. Yeah, and that's pretty much the reality, I would think, in most schools. So I don't get why Ratner is allowed to talk to Damone, or maybe Damone is just a big loser like Linda. But, Heather, I'm so glad you're here because this movie is just a constant stream of guys giving dating advice to other guys on what girls like. <laughs> and I'm so excited we have a girl here I can run some of these by you. <laughs> so, Oh, boy. Oh, goody. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to run some uh, Mike Damone words of wisdom to Ratner, and I would like to hear your thoughts on if this is indeed accurate. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, I will preface this with saying that my taste and what works on me would is very different than most of the other women I know, but <laughs> we can go through and I can give my personal take at least. <laughs> As opposed to Stacy, who apparently any line works on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay, so here are the words of advice from Mike Damone. Starting off, a girl decides how far she's going to go on a date in the first five minutes. Oh, yeah, I even wrote that one down because I was like, that's so the totally the opposite of me. Like, I am, I need to get to know someone first for, like, a while before I, I even, like, the thought even occurs in my mind. So when he was saying that, I was like, yep, no, that's total opposite for me. I could not disagree more. Okay, well, what about for the typical female? I don't want to turn this into a how to pick up Heather Cannon tutorial. <laughs> Would you think that <laughs> That's is... That's what everyone's tuning in for. <laughs> yes, I know. I, big line of Heather Cannon fans lining up there waiting for this one. So uh, the, uh, the typical female, do you think that is true? The girl decides how far she's going to go in the first five minutes. Um, I definitely don't think the first five minutes. I do think it just comes down the individual like I think it's the same with guys like there may be a lot of guys who decide right away but there's some who take a little bit longer I think I don't know I think it depends there maybe I still think five minutes is very early maybe in like the first day or first couple hours but I think it's I think it just depends on if it's someone who's more kind of chasing a status or looks or whatever and someone who cares about personality because there's plenty of people who I would think that they're attractive, but then the second, like, at least objectively speaking, like, aesthetically attractive, but, like, talking to them, it's like, nope, not at all. So five minutes is not always enough time for to get to know enough about someone before you can decide those things. Okay, well, here's the second one, the attitude. Now, Heather, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. <laughs> if the guy walks in and does not talk to you, does not show you any attention, has no interest in you whatsoever... For the typical female, is that a turn-on? That does appear, that is that is the life advice from Mike Damone. Girls love that. Ignore them. I think with the age that they're at in the movie, there may be some truth to that. I think it depends on the maturity level, but it definitely can be true in some cases. I think that's another one where I'm the opposite. Like The second I know that someone's not interested in me, I'm just like, oh, well, that's not an option. So I lose interest like right away. But I definitely think there are a lot of people out there where once you ignore them, then they want you to give them attention. I think it depends on the guy, too, though, because if it's like if it's a guy who's like very attractive and charismatic in general, 
you have to be the right kind of guy. Like if it's just some random guy and he's just ignoring a girl, the girl probably just isn't going to know who he is or like he's not going to register at all. So I think it depends on the person. Okay. Well, we'll have some more Mike Damone dating tips later, but I, I, I just have to point out the, the comedy here that he's giving these tips to Mark Ratner, who is the biggest, most, most helpless piece of veal ever. And he's, <laughs> there's no way any of this advice will ever catch on with Ratner, but anyway, Godspeed. So, so this is the dynamic, and Ratner, at this point, kind of lets loose. He's like, well, I'm in love. And Damone's like, you're always in love, you wuss. And Ratner's like, no, there's this girl at Perry's Pizza that I'm in love with. And we find out he's talking about Stacy, who last we saw was just getting banged by this 30-year-old. And Ratner's like, she's a goddess. I'm in love with her. I've been pining for her for weeks. And and Damone has seen this before. He's like, no, I, you, will, you will do nothing. You will never ask her out. You're a loser. You just stare, you stare at them. This is all you do. So this whole movie will be an attempt to uh, for Mark Ratner to kind of hook up with Stacy, and we'll we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, and that just makes it even weirder their whole friendship because if he already knows his dating patterns and how his interest in women works, and that he's only a freshman in high school, then it makes you wonder how long they've known each other that he's already this familiar with, and just makes the whole relationship even weirder than it was before. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's sadder, a, a senior, high school senior hanging out with a freshman and they're being best friends, or like a 13-year-old hanging out with a 10-year-old and then being best friends. I'm not sure which one is higher on the sad scale. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of the middle ground. Like, I guess when they're like little, little kids, it's not as weird. But once you get to like a high schooler hanging out with like a middle schooler, I think that phase in particular is really awkward. And that seems to be the point when their friendship develops. So all the more questions that we're that we're coming up with as we go along. <laughs> okay, so we're already an hour into this podcast. Very time flies here when you're talking about fast times. But uh, I'm going to skip through a couple <laughs> scenes here. We have we have more of Spicoli and Mr. Hand fighting where uh, where Spicoli shows up late to class. He's not there. He gives the immortal quote, "I don't know why I'm late." And Mr. Hand writes it on the board as a uh, as like a a, a warning. That's like how how they used to put the heads on the pikes to warn warn outsiders <laughs> from storming a castle. It's to warn future Jeff Spicolis, "Don't say I don't know in my class." That's always a classic scene here. Oh yeah, and isn't that the same scene where he publicly shames all his students for the bad grades that they got on their tests? Yeah, he's shaming everyone. Everyone gets shamed. He's just like, F, D, C. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess any kind of student-teacher confidentiality was not a thing back then. <laughs> no, there's no HIPAA in 1970s high schools. <laughs> okay, so so we have Ratner pining for Stacy, and we have on the other, on the flip side, we have Brad, Mr. Big Shot on campus. He now that he's a senior, he wants to dump his girlfriend because you know he's a single successful guy. He needs his freedom, and we'll have this long-running subplot of Brad of horrible things happening to him throughout this movie. Where not only will he not dump his girlfriend, she will dump him. Then he'll get fired from his job. Then he'll have to work at this fish and chips place and wear this dumb pirate hat. And at the end, he'll be a mini-mart. So this long spiral of Brad going downhill, very sad to watch. But the, again, the more you see this movie, the more you, uh, you, you laugh at Brad's downfall. Again, it's almost a, a Greek tragedy. He's almost uh, Oedipus at a certain point here. Yeah, and it is pretty satisfying to watch the girl from break up with him after he's giving his whole speech and he just assumes that she's gonna start crying he's like oh no don't cry no please don't cry <laughs> get over yourself like he I don't know if he needed to have that dramatic of a fall but he definitely needed a bit of 
like a comeuppance. Well, Heather, he was a senior. You don't realize he was a god. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, you know, gods need to have their downfalls, too. It is funny when you watch movies like this, depending on your age. But, like, when you're 15, you watch this movie, and like, wow, an 18-year-old, he's so wise, he's a man. And, like, now you're in your 20s, and you're laughing at this 18-year-old walking around like a god. And, like, I'm 44 laughing. Like, yeah, like some 18-year-old knows what the, what the how the world works. So, anyway, it's always fun. Brad, I won't talk too much about him because I want to focus on Ratner and Stacy. But, yeah, he he's pretty much all downhill from here on out. Yeah, he peaks very early in terms of the movie itself, and then it all goes bad very quickly. Yeah, yes, and I specifically forgot to even mention the uh, the scene he gets caught pleasuring himself, which we'll have a lot of fun with in a couple minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so Rat. Now it's really the the story of Ratner trying to ask Stacy out, this girl who's living fast, trying to be a grown up, and this pathetic dork who is never going to get with a girl ever because he has no game at all. And so, surprisingly, he's able to go up and ask her for her phone number in the mall, and she's very nice because she she thinks he's sweet, and she gives him the number. So they are going to go on a date here in the future, and right before the date. Here is some more of Mike Damone's life advice for his student, uh, Ratner. <laughs> are you ready for this, Heather? Oh, I don't know if we'll ever be ready, but <laughs> here we go. Okay, so here's the five-point plan. I'm so excited to run a five-point plan by an actual female to see if there's actually any wisdom in this. <laughs> Number one, never give in how much you like her. I think we talked about that already. Number two, you always call the shots. The guy always calls the shots and tells the girl how the date's going to go. Yeah, I think that's another one that depends on the personality they're either gonna really like it or they're gonna really hate it okay here we go number three act like wherever you are that's the place to be out of all the life advice that he gives i think that's maybe like the least awful one <laughs> like i maybe would phrase it differently but i think that being able to like enjoy where you are and kind of be positive rather than just kind of like complaining about how everything is like awful all the time I think in general, having that more positive mindset is a better thing to have. So I think of all the advice he gives, that's maybe like the least awful one. Okay, so here we go. Always order for the lady at dinner. It's a classy move. Find out what she wants and then order for her. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that, maybe that would have been enjoyed more in the time period where the film takes place. I would maybe think that's a bit much. Okay, and then the last one is always put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4. Perhaps that one is a little more dated. I don't know if that one works as well. We'll, we'll skip by that one. Yeah, kind of depends on the period. Yeah, so not a ringing endorsement of Mike Damone's five-point plan, apparently. No, definitely not. <laughs> okay, so we'll get to the date here. This is where Mark and Stacy finally go on a date, and I love this scene. It's so perfect. Just the most awkward date ever where Mark forgets his wallet and then they're at this German restaurant and I just love the way the director staged the scene where they're sitting in these chairs that are about eight times too big for the actors. So they look like little kids in these chairs. It's every single time I watch this movie, I laugh when you first see the visual of them trying to talk in these giant uh, Goldilocks and Three Bears chairs. Yeah, and it works so well because that's really what they are, just kids who are trying to pretend to be grown-ups. So it definitely works very well the way that they set up the shot. 
Yeah, it's just, I, I mean, obviously they did it on purpose. It's really well done. And just this big, long, hilarious scene. Mark forgets his wallet. Damone has to come bring the wallet. And then after the date, Stacy invites him back up for to her room because Stacy is ready for action. Stacy <laughs> just wants to uh, get with as many guys as possible because that's how you get popular. And Ratner clearly not ready for this. And I always say this is one of the most painfully awkward scenes you could ever watch if you are a teenager dating someone or if you have the hots for someone where Ratner absolutely loves Stacy. He has no idea what to do. And she's like practically throwing herself at him. And at one point they even kiss and he quickly excuses himself. Something suddenly came up, Greg Brady again, and he has to go home. And it's just so, so horrible. Ratner, just no hope for this guy whatsoever. Oh, yeah. It's so sad. It definitely speaks to, um, I guess, a contradiction to the lines that people try to say with the he's just not that into and all of that where it's like, Oh, if a guy likes you, he'll always make a move and he'll always find a way and whatever. And this really shows the other side of it where, especially with guys who are more shy, you could even be throwing yourself at him and still it doesn't work because the guy is not ready for it may start panicking and just be incredibly awkward. Like, poor Ratner is in the scene. Oh yeah, it's it's terrible. I have I have told the story before. I'm I I was debating if I wanted to tell it on staff picks, but I will say it just because it adds to the story here the reality of this situation that I was once when I was a high school senior, we were at this conference for uh, this marketing class I was in. There was this big conference for all marketing students in the state of Washington, and they rented out this hotel. And at one point, a bunch of students got together for a party, and this one girl apparently took a liking to me, and she started following me around. And at one point, I had to go back to my room to get something, and she's like, can I come with you? And I'm totally in Mark Ratner's situation here. I'm like, <laughs> we go back to my hotel room, and she comes in there. I know something's going to happen, and... Perhaps not to compare myself too far to Mark Ratner. I was not maybe perhaps ready for this. So we got to my hotel room and we got over there and she was right there and I pretended to lose my key. I'm like, oh, I can't find my key. I can't go in. So I 100% pulled a Mark Ratner. So I feel for this poor guy. Sometimes the guy gets there and he wasn't expecting it and he panics. Yeah, no, I think that's probably more common than even today with the Internet and maybe ideals of masculinity changing i think a lot of people still don't realize that that can be a pretty common thing where guys is maybe a little bit shy god forbid or aren't ready and that's definitely something that we see in this movie yes i so again i relate 100 percent to ratner and and so ratner and stacy's date doesn't go very well and she thinks he doesn't like her and he it's because he just doesn't realize what he's supposed to do at this point he's never had a first date before so he doesn't know what the next move is so just this uh big tragic comedy of errors that will lead to some bad situations for stacy later but first okay we got to get here i will give it a cursory appearance in the podcast the pool scene the swimming pool scene <laughs> oh yeah the classic okay so here's the pool scene this is a very very iconic uh 80s scene where uh we have all the kids back at the house are swimming you got damone who has invited ratner over to stacy's house because that's what life coaches do just show up at her house and she'll like that so they're all swimming and linda's there and and Brad, Judge Reinhold, shows up, and he come home from work, and he's all depressed because he's lost everything. He has to wear this dumb pirate suit, and he shows up. And, and so everyone's there, and they're just talking, and Brad goes inside. And as he's inside, he's kind of peeking out and fantasizing about Phoebe Cates, about Linda, about how hot she is, that ostensibly she had a crush on her for many years. 
and um, there's some topless, some nudity here, perhaps I may say, where we see some some breast action, and then he starts pleasuring himself. And as he is doing that, she walks into the bathroom because she has to get a Q-tip. She accidentally stumbles upon Judge Reinhold um, flogging himself. And it is one of the more awkward scenes in the movie, which is impressive considering we just saw Ratner blow up date, a 100% sure thing on a date. Now we see an even more awkward scene where Judge Reinhold gets caught uh, masturbating. So, yeah, well, again, Roger Ebert did not like this movie. Yeah, very much not within his comfort zone or approval at all with that one. <laughs> maybe if it was in German. Maybe if this whole scene had been in German, it would have been more film schooly. But that's what it needed, more German. Okay, we're going to try to wrap up the movie here because we've hit most of the basic major scenes in this movie. And there's a kind of a plot twist here at the end where as Damone, the life coach, is there hanging out with Stacy, he starts flirting with her, and she starts liking him because she's like, well, Ratner isn't showing any attention to me, so I'll like Damone instead, the life coach, the senior. And we get this long, convoluted scene where the two of them accidentally hook up. Where, or not accidentally, but she like throws herself at Damone, and Damone, not, perhaps not making great life choices either, has sex with his buddy's dream girl. And this will lead to some bad complications for Stacy here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess somewhat in his defense, he does at least put up a feeble effort early on to help his friend know when she comes up to him and he says to her, Oh, you know, like Mark really likes you. And then, but she's like, Oh, well, I really like you. And then he's kind of like, Oh, she's really hot. Okay. Yeah. And he just kind of goes with it, but he does, he is at least originally trying to help out his friends, but clearly does not take much for him to throw that all away. Yeah. I do kind of feel bad for Damone during that scene because you can see in his eyes, he really doesn't want to do this, but like you said, in, in his defense, she is hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Damone makes a poor life choice here and he and Stacy hook up. And this is where we get to the plot twist and kind of the third act of this movie where it stops becoming such a goofy comedy. And there's some real life consequences where Stacy all of a sudden gets pregnant and I think we have one of the first instances of a pregnant 15-year-old getting an abortion in a movie. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that's one of the early cases, if not the first one. Yeah, you didn't see that in too many of the John Hughes movies, I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's scandalous if a guy like sees girls' underwear in that movie sneaking <laughs> on the table. That's about as far as it gets. Yeah, well, it's especially interesting. Did, have you ever seen the movie I mentioned earlier, The Last American Virgin? Oh, I haven't. Okay, that's the other teen movie that came out in 82, and it's very interesting because in that movie it's the similar thing where a girl has sex with a guy in high school, and then he dumps her, and she gets pregnant, and she has to have an abortion, and someone else has to kind of come comfort her and help her with it. So it's like very similar. Those two movies hit the same theme in the exact same year. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting that they came out so close together. Yeah, so anyway, Damone... Gets Stacy pregnant. He won't pay for the abortion. He can't raise the money. She has to go all by herself. Very sad scene of, I guess, what the director's pointing out. This is the tragic consequence of these kids trying to grow up before they're ready. Stacy has to have an abortion. She has to pay for it. And it's just a very sad scene, although it's really not graphic. They don't show anything in the abortion clinic, if I recall. Yeah, no, it's just her walking in. And then after they show the nurse coming in and saying, like, oh, you know, I can't let you go without a ride. And then apparently this is just kind of a naive 
nurse for someone who works in an abortion clinic. Cause she was like, Oh, I forgot my boyfriend's picking me up downstairs. She's like, okay, off you go. <laughs> it's a classic Stacy misdirection. She outsmarts the nurse. <laughs> she's pretending to be older for so long now that she's finally just actually become that mature person that, that she's pretending to be. Stacy is now a trained criminal. She's tasted blood. She knows how to fool people. <laughs> <laughs> it all started here at the downfall of, yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee. Maybe that's why Jennifer Jason Lee always plays crazy people in movies now. Like, maybe that's where it all started. <laughs> So anyway, so Stacy has her abortion and her, bro her brother has to pick her up and he promises not to tell anybody that his sister had an abortion. And then we have a falling out between Damone and Ratner as you should. The bros don't be hitting on each other's girlfriends and, and Ratner's <laughs> going to punch him. So anyway, just everything kind of goes downhill and the movie kind of goes towards the end where uh, it's, it's kind of refreshing. This movie doesn't end with like a big prom blowout. I mean, there is a dance here, but it's not as prominent in the story as in most teen movies. Yeah, definitely. Compared to other movies, it's like it's there, but it doesn't even register. Like there's no big choreographed dance scene. <laughs> there's no there's no like major plot point revolving around it. It's just kind of there. It's much better than what most 80s movies have, I think, with prom. Maybe just because I never went to my prom. <laughs> Okay, so the three things kind of happen at the, the final dance at the end of the movie, just kind of wrap up some storylines. We have Ratner and Damone. After Damone has hit on his girlfriend and got her pregnant, they kind of make up and they decide they're going to be friends again, and Ratner forgives him. And Ratner has kind of comforted Stacy. She was in a science class. She was grossed out by something. He's kind of come to her aid, and she realizes he's a super nice guy, and she kind of kisses him. And then the other thing is that the uh, Spicoli versus Mr. Hand, which is this great subplot. We don't re we haven't really given it enough credit in this podcast, but it's been going on all all movie long. They just hate each other, and Mr. Hand hates the surfer. Where <laughs> the surfer kid has been wasting so much of his time in class that Mr. Hand decides to come to his room, his bedroom, on prom night and waste his time. And they're going to learn U.S. history in his in his bedroom just to, uh, to make a point that I can waste your time too, Mr. Spicoli. I I always love that scene. Oh, yeah, definitely not something that you could ever see happening in 2018. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the teacher in the kid's bedroom, that scene might be presented a little differently nowadays, but it's very innocent and very sweet here, and I just love the uh, the interplay between Ray Walston and Sean Penn, and I should point out, in real life, I remember reading that Ray Walston hated Sean Penn with a passion, so like <laughs> these scenes where these characters don't like each other, it's very true because they really didn't like each other. You know, Sean Penn insisted on staying in character all the time, right? And didn't he, like, pretend he didn't know the girls' names or something like that? Yeah. Like, he basically sacked like a jerk all the time on set. I was like, I'm in character. Yeah, he was Spicoli 100% of the time. He would not break character. And I remember at the time, a lot of the other actors thought this guy was like a douchebag. But then you see the movie, and you see how committed he is to this character. And it just kind of started the... the uh, legend of Sean Penn being this actor on a next level above most other people. He can reach levels of character depth that other people can't. <laughs> okay, so the movie ends and basically all the storylines have been wrapped up and uh, Linda gets dumped by her imaginary boyfriend out in Chicago that neither one of us think actually exists. And the final scene of the movie is really Ratner at the mall. Stacy and Ratner are kind of waving to each other from across the mall just like the start of the movie. We go full circle and... Uh, and Stacy calls him over and says, here's my number. Please call me this summer. And he's like, well, you know, I'm kind of busy. And she leans over and kisses him. And he's like, yeah, I'll call you. And it's implied that they finally, 
finally have come to an understanding of how this relationship's going to work. It might be a little slower because Ratner has no game whatsoever. But again, they are the one successful <laughs> romantic couple to come out of this movie. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah, she also she gives him her number with a picture of her, which struck me as an interesting choice. Like he's saying like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I'll be really busy this summer. And then he sees the picture that she got for him of herself. And then he's like, oh, yes, I will call you. Well, that was do kids not do that anymore? That was a typical thing in the 80s that you'd when you get your yearbook picture taken, you get all these little individual pictures. And at the end of the school year, you'd hand them out to people with your phone number on the back. And if like a girl gives it to you with a phone number, that's the sign that she's interested in you. Is that not they don't do that anymore? No, um, I think maybe there are a couple of times where like my family would get pictures, but Ooh. I don't know if maybe just the people they had taking the pictures were better, but I feel like with people my age, it was just a joke because it's like the way they make you kind of tilt your head and pose is that it was such an awkward picture. We all hated it. Huh. There are many people who liked their picture enough that they'd want to give it to people. They kind of didn't want anyone to see it. <laughs> see, we just didn't have the internet. So this was the only physical record that we existed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, here, here's a picture of me. So again, if you were popular, you'd get a lot of these on the last day of school. And I still to this day have a collection of none I think I ever got. So I was not popular, but yeah, this was a very much an 80s thing to give around your pictures at the end of school to all your best friends. Oh, yeah, no, that that didn't happen. We would just sign each other's yearbooks. I don't know if maybe people were writing their numbers in people's yearbooks. People weren't writing their phone number in mine, I have to say, but maybe other people doing it. You, yeah, you and I would have gotten along quite well in high school. <laughs> Sounds like we, oh, had, yeah, we had clearly. no interesting lives whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, basically, it's Barnes and Noble and going to the movies. <laughs> That's right. I drank so many Orange Julius. That was what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and the movie ends with again the one character who's been shat on the entire movie, Brad Hamilton. It ends with a small moment of triumph. He's now working at a mini mart. He's had this successful fall from grace all the way down to working night shift at a mini mart, and he foils a robbery. This guy's trying to rob the store. Brad foils him, and Spicoli's there, and Spicoli lets out the dread cry, All right, Hamilton! And Brad <laughs> ends the movie on a high note, and we that is pretty much the story of Fast Times, a year in the life of all these real-life kids in San Diego in the late 70s that Cameron Crowe made famous, whether they wanted to be famous or not, is really how this worked. Yeah, it's also interesting because at the end they have the little, not necessarily an epilogue, different characters that they're up to now and that adds a different element to it knowing that it was actually straight out based on real people like the fact that linda is living with her abnormal psych professor in college well see i'm not entirely sure those are based on the book i think i read somewhere the studio made oh okay she, they made the director put those in because the movie animal house had come out four years before this and they did that where they have a little thing on the screen that shows mm -hmm. what happened to the character so yeah i think the studio made them but i don't think that's what the real people did Oh, okay, because the part about her living with her abnormal psych professor, that just felt so perfect and true to the character. Now I'm a little disappointed that it is possibly just completely made up. Well, yeah, I mean, and then... I've... Well, I guess I shouldn't be disappointed that a student was not living with her professor. <laughs> Maybe I spoke too soon. Yeah, I don't want to burst your bubble that Jeff Spicoli didn't blow all his reward money hiring Van Halen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that one's obviously... Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so anyway, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and we kind of skimmed through a lot of parts of that movie. We didn't talk about Jefferson, the football player. We didn't talk about the car scene, the football scene, a lot of the big stuff, because I really wanted to focus on the the major characters who are the backbone of that movie, who are Ratner and Stacy and Damone and, and Brad. Those are the big four. So uh, do you, is there anything you feel we left out or we need to mention before we sign off here, Heather? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it speaks to the movie itself that, We've been going so long and there's so much of it that we didn't even touch upon, like just for like a 100 minute movie. There's just so much to it. There's so much depth to it that you really could just go on about it forever. Yeah. And it's um, very similar to another movie I did earlier, The Bad News Bears, where Fast Times always gets mentioned as a comedy. People say, oh, that's that funny 80s movie, but it's really got a lot of heart and depth and reality to it. So it's really, I think, a drama that kind of gets mislabeled as a comedy because it has some funny scenes. But yeah, again, at heart, I think this is the epicenter, the biggest moment of all the 80s teen movies or just teen movies in general, in my personal opinion. So I just wish this is the movie that I wish it was the one that I grew up with, and I wish this was considered the big teen movie. It's really not, and again, I just think it's a shame. I think it should be even more highly remembered than it is. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially considering, as I've said, the fact that I think the only people in my generation who really know it are people who are specifically like kind of film geeks and go back and watch that stuff, because otherwise it's really not known, and I would hate to see it like get lost over time. Yeah. So I'm just hoping we're able to change some hearts and minds tonight and get some younger people to seek this movie out or even just get older people like my age to look at it from a little different lens, not just that silly Sean Penn movie, but a forefather of pretty much every teen movie that came later. Yeah, so that's really all I have to say about it. I just am so excited we finally did an episode on it. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we got the chance to talk about it because it's such a great movie. Yeah, so anyway, Heather, I just want to thank you for stopping by and for especially giving your input on the five-point plan of Mike Damone, which I always thought was horseshit to start with, so I'm glad you were able to see through it and point out some of the inconsistencies in it. Oh, yes, I love pointing out inconsistencies and men's five-step plans on how to woo women. (laughs) All right, so uh, again, I want to thank you for stopping by. I know you have an exciting evening planned of going out to a German restaurant and sitting in a giant chair. (laughs) (laughs) So, again... Yeah, you really nailed it there. (laughs) So, again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you guys need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I'll be out there searching for more movies out there that just need a little more love. And I'll talk to you guys later. All right, Hounds. Bye. Ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. You dick! <laughs>